abrupt intro ending. All right, welcome in. It's the John Cast Podcast. We are in episode number, I lost track. I think we're in episode number 70. Thanks for listening. I'll get to my guests in just a second. But the podcast, as always, is brought to you by me and Julio in Fitchburg. Go check them out. They've got margarita specials Tuesdays and Thursdays, plus wine Wednesdays, and I love to go to me and Julio. I love to get a margarita. Last time I was there, I had a margarita, and I had um, a bang-bang chicken taco, and it's delicious, and I think you should go there as well. It's me and Julio in Fitchburg. Also brought to you by Ian's Pizza with three locations in Madison and three locations in Milwaukee. They're also in Seattle and Denver. And Ian's and I are doing our giveaway. And this is the last podcast that you can enter before we pick a winner. Okay. So I've been having you um, message me, DM me on Twitter at John Audius Radio, at John Cast Podcast, on Instagram at John Cast Podcast, or on Facebook at the John Cast Podcast, and message me the secret word and you'll be entered for our prize of season opening tickets to the college football game in Madison and the volleyball match in Madison. That's September 2nd for volleyball, September 3rd for football. And then also we're going to throw in one year's worth of Ian's pizza to our lucky winner. So this week's key words or phrase that you should uh, message me or DM me, vertical jump, vertical jump. It'll make sense here in a second, but thank you as always to Ian's pizza and go sign up at johncastpodcast.com. I've got the newsletter, and uh, you're going to find about find out all about these promotions before they happen by just signing up for that newsletter. I don't spam anybody. I don't do that stuff. And, um, yeah, Johncast Podcast. Am I missing anything? Oh, go rate and review. There's too many things when you have a podcast that you have to remember to say. Go rate and review on Apple, Spotify, all the good podcast platforms. But today's guest um, – let me get my questions. Today's guest is a very special guest. I've had him on a podcast once before on the Point Wisconsin podcast that Dennis Punzel and I used to do. But he's the director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning at the University of Wisconsin. His name is Kevin Schultz, and he joins me with this uh, live podcast from Fort Worth, Texas. What's up, Kevin? Oh, not a whole lot. Just living my best life in Fort Texas. Yeah. Fort Worth, Texas? Is that where we're at? Yeah. You just had a wonderful steak dinner? My gosh. You know, I go to so many restaurants, and uh, about nine times out of ten, I feel like I could cook a cook a better steak at home and this was that like one time out of 10 where it was pretty good yeah yeah it's a pretty nice little uh fun feature of traveling with the team you get to go out and, and have some nice food every once in a while as well but we're going to talk a little bit of strength and conditioning and a little bit of kevin's background in this one first of all i gotta ask if you had to guess because i know you're big into coffee yeah. and those types of caffeine caffeinated beverages if you had to guess honestly how many milligrams of caffeine do you think you're putting down a day be honest not enough. Um, I still end the day pretty tired. I would guess somewhere between probably 600 and 800 milligrams per day. That doesn't even seem healthy. No, I wouldn't say it is. I wouldn't advise anybody doing it. It's just kind of okay. the, the nature of the beast is being a strength coach and you need caffeine because you get up at 4.30 and you work until about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. And it's the lifeblood of our profession. What's the perfect cup of coffee? Because um, I think for me, I'm into oat milk now. I just like the taste. So I, I, I would go with a freshly brewed I don't even know if there's a brand I'd like, but a freshly brewed pot of that. It has to be earlier in the morning, like I'm thinking the 6 a.m. hour. A little splash of oat milk. I toss a couple sugars in there, a couple teaspoons or whatever that is. Stir that up. Sit down. Nice mug. And that's going to be delicious, I think. Yeah, the perfect cup of coffee for a strength coach is the one that's ready when you want it. Um, but I, I think in my most idealistic day, I'm getting up you know, late. So that's like 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm making a good French press brew of, uh, I, I love JBC cook, uh, coffee. They're based out of Madison. 
And so I'll do the, the rock the house blend. I'll make a nice pot in the morning and I'll sit outside on my porch and sit in my rocking chair and just watch the sun come up. You sound like an old man, but it sounds delightful. It, it is. I mean, like a good cup of coffee can't be understated. And I'm a big advocate of the French roast style because you don't miss any of the essential oils when you use like filters and stuff like that. Okay. So I'm a big French roast guy. Okay, there you go. Man, I see, I knew when I asked you that question that you'd actually have like a very specific answer because I told you this guy is in into coffee. What, why are you into strength training? What got you down this path? You know, that's a really good question. I, I started thinking I was going to be a physical education teacher and being a high school football coach and track coach and wrestling coach. Those were the, the sports I primarily did in, in high school. And then, you know, I went and played Division three football. I did the physical education track, and I found strength conditioning as a profession. It was one of those things that was kind of a tack on or add on to my undergrad degree. Um, I started coaching at a young level, at a young age. I was, I think, a, a sophomore in college when I started coaching high school track and field. Um, it was one of those things where a high school track coach kind of had to do the strength conditioning and just kind of fell in love with it and kind of stepped away from teaching, had a really good but challenging experience teaching in uh, the Milwaukee Public School District and went all in with coaching back in 2007. So what has been like, Have if you looked back at the first time you you know tried to teach somebody strength training and compared to now, would you look back at Kevin then and be like, what were you doing or have how much, I guess, I don't know, how has, how has that changed throughout the years maybe is a better question. You know, I think you always look back and say, wow, what was I thinking? Um, but I, I think the the greatest point is that no matter what you do, as long as you do it consistently, you're going to get better at it. And so I can look back at the programming I did back in 2002 and 2003 when I was working with freshman, sophomore, junior high school kids at Lacrosse Logan. Like, everybody got better. Why? Because they just came in, they're consistent, and the science was still there. Um, so much has evolved, I think, nowadays in just the way that we, we program um, and we coach. It's changed quite a bit. Um, not necessarily bad or good. It's just it's changed. And, and so much of it now is really, I think we'll end up talking about this, is informed by technology and science. And our profession has continued to grow quite a bit over the past 20-plus years where there's more evidence-based and science-based practices that we use that elicit really good training results as compared to, you know, 20 years ago, it was just, you know, do three sets of five on bench press and then three sets of five on incline bench press and then three five, three sets of five reps on dumbbell bench press. And people got strong because the human organism is by far the most resilient and robust organism. You know, for a lot of coaches, if we were engineers, we would get fired in the first week. Um, but since we work with humans, they just, they respond to everything. And so, you know, no matter who you are, like, as long as you're doing something and you're staying consistent with it, you're going to get better. See, I'm glad you brought up the tech because I do want to talk about that because the, I think when most fans hear about a strength coach, I'm uh, and for me too, like you're thinking everything you just described what 20 years ago, right? You're thinking like, okay, they do the bench press, they do the squats, they do the overhead presses, and and that's it. But it's it's gotten and like you said, so you're saying it's it's not been like this before. Like when did that change toward getting? And we'll talk about some of the tech that. Wisconsin volleyball uses, but when did that change kind of start happening? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is technology that we're using nowadays and the things that are more accessible for general population have been around for 20, 30 plus years. It's just become more affordable and more easily accessible for everybody. And so it's something I think, you know, coming from a really good educational background, um, just being at Wisconsin Lacrosse and getting my undergrad and master's degree there, we had a lot of great resources, but it's taken probably 10, 15 years for that to trickulate to a population where everybody has access to the technologies that would help to inform training and athlete development and programming. So, yeah. So it, it okay. So let's talk about some of this tech that Wisconsin volleyball uses. So uh, I'm going to start with one of the newest things the team has now 
there are these rings. Is it called rings? Like, what's the company brand? Why is everyone wearing rings nowadays? Yeah, so basically the, the brand is Aura Ring, and it's basically like a fitness tracker, but we primarily use it as a sleep tracker. Um, and it's probably one of the more sensitive tools out there on the market that measures, uh, like, heart rate, uh, resting heart rate, HRV, body temperature, and then based off those different metrics, it gives you different readiness scores and gives you kind of quantification of your sleep and where you are, whether you're in deep sleep or REM sleep or light sleep and you're waking up. So it helps us to more or less like make informed decisions about how we can be managing sleep as sleep being such a big, important partner of athletic performance. Yeah, I was going to say, because sleep, how big is sleep for a student athlete? You know, outside of like the programming that the student athletes do from a, a practice standpoint, sleep is probably by far the, the most important thing as far as recovery and, and getting better and training. Um, you know, you spend a third of your life in your bed, and if you can't control that portion of your life, you're missing out on a third of your, your potential, I, I suppose. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know, sleep is by far the biggest indicator for recovery and performance enhancements. Um, it helps out with cognition and your ability to learn new skills and tasks. So you think about, like, in preseason, where we're introducing new techniques and tactics to our athletes, if they're not getting good sleep, they're not coming back the next day more informed and able to, you know, reproduce reproduce the the qualities that are needed to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Sleep is sleep is huge for for all of that. And you think like of a college student. Sometimes, I mean, we remember all what it was like to be in college, and sometimes sleep wasn't the priority. So, I mean, is how how important is that message then to the athletes? Like, listen, we're, there's a reason why we we need you to sleep. Yeah, you know, I think we're blessed to be at the university where we have really good sports medicine professionals around us. And, you know, we have a, specifically Dr. John Dopp, who works out of our pharma, pharmacy department on campus. He's kind of our athletic department's uh, sleep scientist. He's somebody who's worked, you know, deeply with our volleyball team and really kind of we've done research over the years to really demonstrate the value of sleep and how important it is to not only performance, but also just general quality of life, life skills, like, you know, just overall mood and, you know, happiness and your muscle soreness. And there's so many different subjective measures that sleep plays into in regards to making people feel better and perform at a high level. This isn't just for student athletes, anyone listening to this, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. And so to the importance of sleep, it's not only did the student athletes get the aura rings, it's the whole staff did too. And so really part of it is, is making sure that our coaches can perform at the high level as, as high level possible. But then also the idea of there being a shared communication language. When Kelly's talking to Gary about sleep and when the student athletes hears that, then it just it helps out with the buy-in more or less. It's just everybody's speaking the same language and everybody knows that sleep's really important because everybody within the team's doing it. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the coaching staff didn't think about that. I'd love to see Gary's results. Um, you don't want to see him during the NCAA tournament. I'll tell you that much. That, that guy might get about three hours per sleep each night. Um, and I think that's probably the most shocking thing is just myself and my own self-exploration is how little quality sleep I get. You know, most nights I'm in bed for eight hours, but I'm probably only getting six hours of sleep. And for years, you know, with some other technology system we've been using, we've been doing like subjective sleep reporting. So how long do you think you're asleep? How, what was the quality that you thought your sleep was? And now with the aura ring, we can actually quantify that in a way that is probably more meaningful than these subjective, you know, like I was in bed for 10 hours, so I got 10 hours of sleep. Well, were you actually asleep and was your sleep actually good? Now we have some answers with that. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So tell me about also Catapult is another technology that the team uses. What What is that and what does it do? Yeah, so Catapult's a technology we adopted about three years ago, and more or less they're these little units that the, the team wears on like these vests on their shoulders. 
And it basically gives us a, a metric for how much volume and intensity they're accumulating during a training session. So it gives us an insight into the workload is the word that we use within strength and conditioning that our athletes are doing. So it quantifies forward, backwards, side to side, up and down, movements in all directions, and the intensity. So you can really understand the amount of training that our, each of our athletes is doing. All right. And how do you use that data? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of layers, you know, one on my end, it helps me to better understand how I can train the athletes in the weight room to help them prepare them for sport. Um, two, it helps me understand like where each individual athlete is in regards to themselves and their teammates. So I know how to work with our sports medicine professional and myself to introduce recovery modalities. And three, probably the biggest thing is that it helps inform our sport coaches to make sure that we're hitting the mark. If we're going into a training session and the the goal is to have more of a, a medium day, you know, you kind of, from a training standpoint, you have high days, you have low days, you have medium days. And if the goal is one thing, but then we get the information back that it ended up being something different, well, can we justifiably explain why that happened? You know, maybe we're going into the drill or the day and it's going to be a medium day, but then we get stuck in a drill and maybe, maybe we have two athletes that have to leave for class and all of a sudden their, their numbers are a lot higher. And so it's going to help us inform decisions going into the next day about how to better train them and kind of keep us more or less on the rails. Because it used to be in volleyball, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, but you would, I mean, jumping is still important in counting the amount of jumps because that's still, right? I mean, that's still important in, in some respect, right? You don't want to over jump someone. But this, because I, I was reading something that you provided to me before here and you, you brought up a good point. Like, how do you, how good is that kind of information when you're talking about like a back row player who's not jumping at all so this this helps kind of balance that out yeah absolutely so you know this idea of jumps is very much so rooted in the volleyball culture and you know in years past we would have you know managers or athletic trainers or strength coaches with jump counters like little clickers sitting on the side and watching different players and a lot of times it was well how many jumps does so-and-so have because we're working on a return to player protocol we just got to manage the training load but then you run into the instance where all of a sudden, like your, your back row players, they don't jump. Well, how do we quantify what they're doing? Um, and then also, you know, this idea of like jumping is one stimulus, but also sprinting and changing direction and, and diving in and hitting the ground. Like if we're not really factoring those qualities and those metrics into our equation, then we're really missing a big portion of the game. You know, it's like, you know, most matches we're going to take, depending on the position, let's say between 150 and 250 jumps. But that's not all they're doing. They're, they're sprinting, they're diving, they're ducking, they're changing direction, they're hitting the ground, they're running into their players. And the catapult units basically give us a more accurate depiction of the total work they're doing. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so it, um, there's another, before I get to the conduct, is it Vault? What is Vault? I have no idea. Yeah, so Vault's kind of a parent company of a handful of different technologies, force plates and hand dynamometers. And, you know, they got this thing called the Nord Board, which basically measures like hamstring strength primarily used for some more like linear based speed programs like soccer's and American football. And then they have this thing called the force frame, which has like these sensors in it where you can look at like shoulder, internal, external rotation, hip abduction, adduction. And so basically Vald is, is a suite of different technologies that can be used to quantify things you normally can't see as a practitioner. So for example, every day that we're training, we have the athletes do basically a counter movement jump, hands on the hips, and it gives us a number. And that number is called a reactive strength index modified. And so what it tells me is how neurologically ready each of our athletes is to accept a training that day. And so it's just another tool we use to basically assess readiness so we know when we're going into practice planning for that day how to best approach that for each individual athlete. That's crazy. And all this data, though, this is something that you were geeking out about earlier today at the airport. All this data has to go somewhere. 
So now you're able to, you have a, a new way of gathering the data and analyzing it. Yeah. So, you know, in years past, we'd have all these different data streams coming in and you'd have to open up like three or four different web browsers to look between, you know, the vault stuff and the catapult stuff and the aura stuff. And and one of the technologies that's come about the past few years is this thing called like an athlete management system. And basically an athlete management system is a platform that basically pulls in all these different technology uh, data streams streamlines everything and makes it easily presentable and, you know, understandable for strength coaches, sports medicine professionals, and sport coaches. Um, and so basically through these ideas of APIs, like the catapult system talks to conduct and the numbers that I want to see just show up. Um, conduct talks to catapult and I get my player load numbers. They just show up. And so from a practitioner standpoint, it's really easy to start looking at different data streams and making inferences about the, the wellness and the trainability and the readiness of our athletes without having to kind of fuddle around the different platforms that each different technology provides. What's next? I mean, you've got like four different things here we talked we touched on. Like what is next or is there something out there that you're already excited about that you're trying to push uh to to bring to Wisconsin or what else can there be? Yeah, you know, I think in in order to have success with any technologies, there needs to be a strategy behind it. And every year that I've been here, we've we've added or modified one of the current technologies to make sure that our, our implementation is right and that there's consistency with it. And there's buy-in from the sport coaches and, and the, the student athletes. Um, so what's next? You know, that's a really good question. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on within the recovery space with red light therapy. And, you know, just as much as, as sleep is really important, so are other expedited ways of, re, you know, enhancing recovery. We know Student athletes, on average, don't get great sleep. And so are there things that we can do to speed up recovery without having to ensure good sleep is going to happen? Um, and, you know, there's different wearable technologies that are available that can look at blood, blood lactate levels. That was a big thing a, a few years ago. And the technology is starting to get there so you can understand the, the actual, like, internal loading of the student athlete more so than just, like, GPS, which would be, like, an external response. Like, how are their bodies physiologically responding. And there's more information coming out on that, you know, almost weekly. Um, I'm happy where we're at. We just adopted the aura ring. And so it's like, there's stuff on the horizon, but so much of it is it's about vetting technologies, making sure they're reliable and valid before you start making, you know, tens of thousands, if not thirties, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of purchases. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. So I have this question because I saw the video. I'm sure maybe many people who listen to this podcast saw this video this summer uh, with Anna Smrek. She's now a sophomore. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They throw their alley-oop. It's, she dunks a, a basketball um, on a basketball hoop. But what I thought was funny, by the way, is that she approached it like she was attacking or something that looked <laughs> like her jump. But but she dunks. Here's the point. So what is Anna Smrek touching for Badger volleyball fans? Is it is it not 11-something? Yeah, typically she's right around 11-foot-2. I mean, she's, she's hit a little bit higher – previously but i mean you know on any given day we we do a bunch of vertical jumps and it's more of a a safeguard in the sense so our athletes always know they're prepared to handle competition and anytime the coaches come in and say hey you know how are we jumping today i have an answer yeah. but she's usually right around you know between 11 11 foot 2 depending on how she's doing from a health and wellness standpoint and trainability perspective okay. as well okay so is that a one like do you stand and then you take one step and jump? Or what is the, what is the, how do you get to 11 2? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I basically just tell them to do an approach jump and they know how to do it. It's something that's really, you know, kind of culturally based off of what they do within sport. Okay. And so I basically just set the vertex up and I say, all right, we're doing approach jumps today and they know the steps to take. Okay. Um, so who's next on the team after Anna? Oh, wow. I, I can't remember. I'm going to say maybe 
Sarah Franklin had some really good jumps. Oh, no, wait, wait, time out. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Devin Robinson. I mean, she can, she can hit about 10 foot seven, um, 10 foot eight on a good day. And she's, I mean, she's just a freaky explosive athlete. She had by far the best summer I've seen out of any Badger since Lauren Gillis in regards to strength and power numbers. I mean, like she hang clean 205 pounds, squatted over 330 pounds. I mean, she's just, she's really strong. Really. It was all personal records for, what was she, how much has she improved since she got here? Oh my gosh. I mean, well, everybody improves, you know, it kind of goes back to my first point. It doesn't matter what you do, just that you do it consistently. Um, but she's gotten so much stronger and you know, it's Devin's one of those athletes that's like freak, freakishly twitchy and explosive. Um, and she can test out like nobody else, but she has a hard time handling like the volume of intensity. And so like anytime we test out and we're hitting like heavy singles, she crushes it. But then if we add volume and intensity, then it's hard for her to handle. And so a lot of times when you start looking like, how do I program for each individual athletes? It's kind of understanding their own like little athletic signature. Like, okay, well, I know Devin needs more intensity, but less volume where there's other athletes on the team who maybe aren't as explosive that need a little bit more volume versus intensity. Okay, so that just brings me kind of to my next question. So how do you find the right exercises and intensity? Because it's, are you, is it a, does everybody do the same stuff or how does that work? Yeah, you know, what I would say is everybody starts out doing the same stuff. And I say starts out, it's typically after the competitive season ends. So coming back in February where we're, you know, we've had players leave, now we have new players in. And so, so much of our spring semester is about building the foundation that's going to carry us throughout the rest of the year. And so our incoming athletes have to see our current athletes doing stuff. Our current athletes need to know these income at, incoming athletes can do the things well. And so typically during the spring semester, everybody's kind of in the same program. And everything for us, for the most part, during our main two time points in the uh, spring and then the summer – it's it's about working towards the goal of testing out because we find, you know, a, a ton of validity in the assessments that we do at the end of the, the spring and the summer. So basically everybody's going to start out being doing the same stuff throughout the spring. Um, once we get to the summer, we start, you know, kind of, you kind of put them into different buckets. Sometimes it's based off of like their age and their development within the weight room. Sometimes it's based off of injuries. Um, sometimes it's kind of based off of, positions, whether the front row players or back row players, and kind of where we're at now, we start parceling it out where we have like our middles and our setters, we have our outsides, and we have our back row players, like our defensive specialists and our liberos. Okay, so we were also talking uh, before this podcast, and, you know, we talk about all this data that you gather, and and part of, not part of, you know, your realm, but it, mindfulness is part of this team as well, is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, um, can you talk a little bit about the mindfulness of this team, the data that you've collected from that and how that is going to be used here in the future. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's first worth saying that we're probably the only university out there that has a mindfulness meditation professional on staff, Chad. Um, and Chad's somebody who has an intimate working relationship with our volleyball program. And so we've been really lucky to have him be present over the probably past three seasons. Um, and, you know, Chad would always say, you know, like strength training is for the body and mindfulness and meditation is for the brain. And, you know, what he's doing is strength training for the mind. Um, and so what we've, you know, it's a funny story we were kind of talking about offline earlier was just like when the pandemic hits and all of our student athletes got shuttled home and all the, you know, all the weight rooms and gyms went to shut into lockdown and really we're working out from home. Right. Um, we were really lucky where that happened. We were able to send all of our student athletes on the volleyball team, like some ancillary piece of equipment. Um, but one of the things that I, I realized early is that, you know, the, the normal positive 
affirmations they're getting from completing workouts, they're missing out on those. And so one of the systems we use are kind of subjective wellness surveys and subjective training load surveys through Conduct that help us get an idea as far as where our student athletes are at. During the pandemic, basically, I introduced a question within their surveys that asked whether or not they did mindfulness. So it's like, did you train today? Yes. Did you practice mindfulness today? Yes. Check a box. Did you take your vitamins? Okay. Well, no, I didn't. So I should probably take those now. Um, did you watch film today? So trying to build in these systems that reinforce that you may not just have to be training. There's these other things you can do to enhance like athletics and, you know, just your, your you know, enhance your game. Um, so, you know, we go into the pandemic and we're, we're keeping track of, you know, all these different qualities and we come out of the pandemic and I was like in a department head meeting, maybe, you know, earlier this summer. And we're talking about like holistic athlete development and collaboration. And I'm sitting across from Chad. I'm like, Chad, I don't know if you recognize this. I didn't even realize this. I've been getting mindfulness data on our volleyball athletes for like literally the past two years in regards to whether or not they did or not. And then all of a sudden Chad starts geeking out because one of his big pillars is looking at research of acceptance and mindfulness practices within college athletics. And so, you know, all of a sudden us two, we're geeking out and we're not scientists, but luckily we work in a great place where we're highly connected to all these different research scientists and doctors and PhDs. And all of a sudden I shared like, you know, tens of thousands of lines of data. And one of our doctors comes back. He's like, you guys, you got something here. You know, whatever happened during the pandemic, the mindfulness that the volleyball team had been practicing served them well. Um, and there's a lot of stuff right now that is currently going to publication and print that I can't share right now, but it's stuff that I think is going to really, you know, shine a light on the positive benefit that mindfulness can play within the lives of student athletes, not only from a physical perspective standpoint, but more, more or less from a mental perspective. Wow. That's going to be so cool. I can't wait to see the results of that. And you know, everything, the mindfulness, the sleep, the strength training, like it's all connected. It all goes together. And if you lose one of them, one other one can suffer. So uh, that's just kind of neat how just everything, everything connects. It does. And, you know, I think there are things that everybody realizes intuitively. Um, it's just very few programs have the administrative support and the financial backing to really piece all those together. Um, and ultimately everything comes down to what Kelly Sheffield wants from this program. And he's such a such a high-level thinker, probably one of the, the best uh, coaches I've ever been around in regards to that, like his ability to connect people, his ability to really open up the doors to anybody who has insight or knowledge that he doesn't have. And really 90% of what we do is driven because he gives us either the, the mission to go figure this out or he gives us the freedom and the bandwidth to really kind of like pick our own brains and kind of go out on our own. And all of us are high performers, so we just end up being in that space where like, all right, well, sleep. We know sleep's important. What are we doing about it? Well, we just talk about it right now. So let's get the aura rings and actually have some information. And one other piece of the technology that we bought this past year are these, uh, these like betting systems are called sleep me. Um, and what, what it is, it's a mattress topper that goes on top of your mattress. And there's like this little dock station you fill up with water and it circulates cold water on top of your mattress because we know humans sleep better in darker, cooler spaces. And so all right, well, we know sleep's important. What are we doing about it? Well, we're going to buy these systems for our women to make sure that we, you know, when they are sleeping, we're going to try to ensure that they're getting better quality sleep just through a different system. Yeah. Well, they're going to, they're going to hate the roads, the, the mattresses on the road after that, right? <laughs> it's fine. You know, and ultimately it comes down to, can you compete? Can you get up for a game? And yeah. there's so much of this stuff that we pull on and we can do back in Madison, Wisconsin that we can't do here in Fort Worth, Texas, but ultimately our women are competitors you know, they, they could be sleeping on rocks and they could get two hours of sleep. They'll still go out there and they'll be ready to, to play in any, any competition venue against any team. You hear that TCU, you hear that Baylor sleeping on rocks. Um, 
Um, Kevin, all right, so I've got a strength coach on the podcast. So I have to ask you, what would be the easiest workout for someone listening who just wants to kind of, maybe they haven't worked out for a while and they just want to start and they want to get a sweat. I don't know. They just want to, they want to move. What's the easiest way to get someone to start moving as far as like, what would you, what would you tell them to do? Would you say, go join a gym? Would you say, here, just stay at home, do some pushups or what would you say? Yeah. You know, I think the easy answer is go find somebody in the community that is certified as a strength conditioning specialist by the National Strength Conditioning <laughs> Coaches Association. Find somebody qualified and get working with them. Um, if you're not looking, so one on one, you're saying go get a trainer, basically. Go, go get a trainer. Go join a club. Just make sure the people you're working with are certified and knowledgeable. Because still within our space, there's a lot of people that don't have the knowledge or the certifications or the credentials to really do, you know, good strength training for general population people. Um, the second one is, you know, the, where I find myself often because I often don't have time or more or less I don't make time. Incline treadmill walking. Set the incline 12 to 15 degrees. Set the speed two and a half, three and a half miles per hour, and just walk. Um, it's going to be one of those things that's going to use the primarily the large muscle groups within your legs, which is going to stimulate, you know, all the different hormones you need. And it's low impact. But, yeah, 20 to 30 minutes every day, that's a good place to start. Oh, I like that. See, and you've got the reason why, not just because it makes you tired or makes you sweat. You've actually got the reasons why. Okay, so then, I, then I'm going to ask you about supplements because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a health and wellness show all of a sudden. No, um, so – like I, so, for example, I have protein powder. I'll take that every. I don't use it religiously or consistently. But what kind of supplements or, or vitamins should people be taking? Bre- Sorry. And by the way, this is this is just Kevin's opinion. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I do not represent the yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the opinions of the sports medicine or strength conditioning or sports nutrition department at UW Madison. Um, but you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. You know, in they, they, the old saying was like, eat the rainbow, right? Making sure that you eat a good mix of fruits and vegetables and different sets, types of carbs and proteins. Like that's your, that's your base, your best bet to make sure you're dotting all your I's and cross your T's. Um, typically, if you're not eating well, I would say some kind of multivitamin. Um, fish oils are obviously something that people should be looking at, especially, you know, in the north, the northern part of the states where we don't get a, you know, a ton of fresh fish or, you know, ocean-based fish with omegas um, that helps out with a lot of depression, seasonal affective disorders and general mood. Um, What else? Fish oil helps with mood? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Fish oils, uh, vitamin D, protein, I think just, you know, it's, I would just say stay to the basics, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe, maybe a multivitamin, maybe your greens mix. Um, That's only if you're not eating well. And it's, I think it's like when it comes to that stuff, we all know what's good. We know what we should be drinking. You shouldn't be drinking the soda. You should avoid the chips. I mean, as much as possible. Like if you, I guess my point is like, if you really wanted to eat healthy, I think we all know what to do. Yeah. You know, I think so much of it, there used to be this old saying, and I don't do much nutrition now because I have a great dietitian that works with the volleyball team. It's like the 80, 20 rule, right? Like 80% of the time, eat healthy, eat for performance, eat for health. Um, 20% of the time, eat for the social aspects. It's, you know, think about everything in our society that's fun revolves around food. Birthdays, holidays, family vacations. Those are the times that you really want to be able to enjoy like a good steak on the road with the volleyball team or maybe a cold beer with your best bud talking about training. Um, but that doesn't mean that that 20% should shift into the 80% and that's where you find yourself in trouble. Um, but balance is key, but also making sure that you're rewarding yourself for hard work and you're finding opportunities to really enjoy the social aspects of being humans and you know, in the times that we live in where we have access to every type of food you would want to eat. Yeah, yeah. 
Good point. It's a good point. You can't, I mean, the mental health of, if you can't, you can't go a hundred percent of just eating stuff that's going to drive you crazy. No, and you know, it's, it's like cheat days, right? It doesn't need to be a cheat, cheat day. Just schedule your, yeah, cheat meal. It's just, you no, know, you know, for me, it's typically eat well Sunday night through Friday afternoon, Friday and throughout the weekend, I'm going to have some cheat meals in there, but I plan for it. And I, you know, it's one of those things where it's just part of my routine. All right, very cool. All right, Kevin. I think uh, I think that's the podcast. I think we did the podcast. How awesome. did it, how did it go? I loved it. I love talking to you, John. Okay. Well, this was fun. I think you're so informative. So so many things to to listen back to. I think. But uh, Kevin, thanks for the time. Happy to be here. All right, that is Kevin Schultz, uh, my guest today. I always got to look this up for your title, your official title, Director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning at the University of Wisconsin. All right. One more reminder: the keyword for the Ian's Pizza giveaway. Uh, this is your last chance to qualify with these keywords. DM me at John Audius Radio, at John Cast Podcast, at John Cast Podcast on Instagram, at the John Cast Podcast on Facebook. Vertical jump, which, by the way, I bet you my vertical jump, it can't be over 20 inches. No way. It's probably like 13. I don't know. What would what would be your vertical jump if you had to do that? Like like Anna's touching 11 two. What would you touch? Uh, probably like seven foot six. I've had six knee surgeries <laughs> and a back surgery, John. So that's why I do inclined treadmill walking. Okay. <laughs> you stay on the ground. <laughs> My uh, feet haven't left the ground in 10 years, John. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, all right. So vertical jump, uh, message me that and you'll be entered again. And then I'll do one more social media entry here coming up uh, before we give away the grand prize of the season opening tickets to the football game in Madison on the third and the seasoning uh, season opening tickets home opener for wisconsin volleyball on the second the friday night before um also brought to you by me and julio go check out me and julio in fitchburg they've got the best margaritas around tuesdays and thursdays they got their margarita specials plus wednesdays is wine wednesdays is wine wednesdays they have monthly food specials too that is me and Julio in Fitchburg, johncastpodcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter. Rate and review this podcast because that really helps. It's fun. All right. Thanks to Kevin uh, for joining me for this podcast. And thanks to you for listening to the Johncast podcast. Goodbye.